Good morning, church. Let's stand to our feet. Let's join together. Let's rejoice in all the things that our God has done. Come on. Let's put our hands together for us like this all across the room. Lift it up. We say. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. We say every voice. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we will be quiet. We sound your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is early in this place. We will be quiet. We sound your praise. Oh, yes, you will. We sound your praise. We sing to the God who we sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from the grave. My God still rolling songs away. It's joy in the house of the Lord. It's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we this victory come on we were the beggars now royalty we were the prisoners now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the cross of the lord sing praise we say we were the
the storm, we respond with our praise because we know who is all power and all authority. Come on, we declare this truth together. Let praise. Praise be within that silence is the enemy. Let praise be within that conquers all anxiety.
Good morning. I'm Brian Carroll, executive pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. My privilege to welcome you this morning. And uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we're, we're glad that you're here. And so welcome and uh, glad that you've chosen to be with us at Cypress Bible Church this morning. At Cypress Bible Church, we say wherever you're at, we're, you're welcome here. So begin wherever you're at and uh, become more like Jesus or join us in that, that uh, path of becoming more like Jesus. Um, on the back of your pews is a QR code, and so that is the best way to communicate to us. You can click on that, and then that'll take you uh, to a form, and that's a way that you can turn in prayer requests. That's a way that you can say, hey, I need someone to give me a call, way for you to contact a pastor, way do you find out more about other ministries. And so we encourage you to use that QR code as the best way to communicate directly with us. You can also stop by the Welcome Center if you have any questions or there's anything that you want to know, and so that's right out there in the foyer. At Cypress Bible Church, we emphasize really four things, uh, gathering and worship, that's what we're doing here this morning, uh, grow in truth, we believe that's best accomplished in some sort of smaller group setting, uh, whether that be a grow class or grow group, um, and so we have opportunities for that, you can find more about that out in the foyer, and to go in mission, and uh, in going in mission, we really have three focus, go local, uh, go short, and go long. On a go local front, we had, I believe it was 12 individuals place faith in Christ yesterday as a result of going out to our community and our neighborhood, so we're thankful for that. That's part of the second Saturday ministry. And then also, uh, then it's go, uh, go local, then go short, and that's opportunities that we have available to go on short-term trips uh, to see what ministry is at going on in other worlds and participate in that. And then the other is to go long. And so next week, actually, Patrick McGinty, who is a missionary in, um, in Japan, he will be here for a lunch. An email will go out this week. We'd love to invite you to come, hear about what's going on in Japan. And if you don't know Patrick McGinty, it's a great opportunity to get to know him. And if you know him, you'll want to be there anyway. Um, also, um, uh, so if you have questions on any of those things, you can go out to the Welcome Center. Just a couple of other announcements. Uh, there is no student ministry today or the 21st. They're taking a little bit of break of a break before the kickoff on August 28th. And so this week and next week, uh, student ministries will not be meeting. Our children's ministry is ramping up to get started on September 11th. We will resume with uh, ministry for both hours at the 9.30 and 11 o'clock. Uh, and uh, this uh, season, they're focusing on that our kids' life ministry rocks. And uh, that uh, it's a great opportunity to learn about who's the, who is the rock in our lives. And of course, that's Jesus. And I encourage you to consider, if you've never served in children's ministry, now might be a great time to do it. It'll change children's lives, and it will change your lives. The great news is you're well-trained, you'll work with a team of people, and so we encourage you that if that's something that God has laid on your heart, that you would consider doing that. Uh, for more information, you just go out to the Welcome Center. There's a little form there you can fill out. They'll be in touch with you about that. But uh, I encourage you to consider, is that something that God would have you do this season of life? Uh, and uh, if you feel like that's not what God's leading, please join us in praying that God would provide those so that we can have all those class classes open on September 11th. Well, today, many of you are already well aware of it, is our potluck. And I am, happy to report, <laughs> I am happy to report that we have over 325 people signed up to come. So it's going to be a great crowd over there today. Um, so let me just give you a couple of instructions. If you are a guest, it's your first time here, come as our guest. You don't need to bring nothing. You don't need to donate anything. We just want you to come join us. It'll be in the two-story building that's back over there. Entrance will be really from the parking lot side. So if you go out around that building, you'll come in from the parking lot side. For those of you who are planning to attend, uh, you know, uh, I sent you an email. Hopefully you've read that. You'll just enter in back over there on that side. 
If you're sitting here and you think, you know what, somehow I missed that email or missed those announcements, but I'd like to come, you're welcome to come. If you're a regular attender, you could help us out by just going down to Kroger's, picking up something to share with everybody else, just to make sure that we have enough sides, desserts, and salads for everyone else. But uh, we would love to have you come to that as well. Anyway, so we'll see most of you, or many of you, uh, over at the potluck uh, later this afternoon. But uh, Chad continues to, well, and let me mention this as well. Tony's going to continue on in the launch series. We're still in the Book of Acts. Uh, we've resumed back in the Book of Acts. And so Tony Svensson, who is our Go Ministry pastor, will be preaching this morning. But uh, Chad, lead us in worship, and I'll give you your microphone back. Awesome. If we would stand together again, I want to share a scripture with you out of Romans 8. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, what a good news. What, what, uh, that's some good news this morning for us as, as we approach worship. Uh, the thing I love about worship is that a lot of times worship can be uh, uh, the words that our hearts want to say, but our words fail to. And so as we continue to sing, uh, I pray that your, your heart be postured to receive what God has for you today, that you would not just be a spectator in this moment, but you would engage and allow God to do a work in your heart today. Amen. Let's continue to sing.
morning. Come on. He is worthy. Amen. Let's go before our God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this time of worship, God. For the opportunity to give back to you, God, to unload the glory off of ourselves and give it to and give it to the one who deserves it all, God. This moment is for you, God. This moment is for you to pour into us as well. So that way we can use this huddle, God, to turn around and reach people for Jesus. God, to spread the news of your gospel, the freedom, the hope that is in Jesus, Father. God, we thank you for this moment. We praise you for the word that's coming, God. It's in your son's powerful name that we pray this. And everybody in the room said together, amen. morning. So I'm excited to continue to preach through uh, the book of Acts uh, as we explore this idea of God launching his church. Uh, I think we have a lot to, to learn, a lot to glean from, from all of this. And so this morning we're going to be looking um, at, a, at a quite a lengthy passage It's going to be uh, the, the story of Cornelius in Acts 10 and 11. There we go. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and read portions of that this morning, so I won't have time to read the whole thing, but I would encourage you to go back and do that. So we're going to start in uh, 10, verses 1 through 8. It says, There was a man named Cornelius, uh, a centurion that was called the, from the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God, along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Start staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. And then Acts 10, 23 to 27. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day they entered to Syria. Now Cornelius was expecting them and, then, and called them and his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up and said, Stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Acts 10, 34 through 48. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God does not show favoritism. But in every nation, the people who fear him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John's preaching. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all that were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with them. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both Judea country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him from a tree. God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us who God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Uh, well, Father God, we give you thanks and praise for your word. We pray that as you speak to us this morning, uh, that your spirit would lead us and guide us in all truth, and that we would understand your way clearly and walk in it. And we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about uh, seeing God as he's revealed himself uh, in all of his creation, uh, general revelation. When we look up into the, into the stars and we, we marvel uh, and we recognize that, that God desires us to worship him, he, he desires us to be in awe and wonder of who he is. Uh, and one of my, uh, coming through seminary, one of my specialties, one of my uh, uh, things that I really focused on a lot was apologetics. And there are, there are two types of apologetics. There's basically classical apologetics, which really focuses on uh, the created world and proving that God exists by all that is created. Uh, we can look at uh, proving that God exists from being. Um, you know, I, I, we, we exist, therefore we are. And the, these kind of philosophical, you know, debates and arguments of, of proving who God is, but also by looking at creation, looking up into the stars and seeing that there is a, a created order to things. There's, there's design in the universe. And tele, the teleological argument basically says that every uh, design has a designer. The, the universe is highly complex in its design. Therefore, the universe has a designer, right? And so I think, I think there's some very good arguments, and, and, and you get really deep into, into philosophy, trying to figure out, is there a God? And they'll say, yes, you can clearly see that there is a God by that which is created. And we talked about that last week from Romans 1, uh, 18. For the invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen through the creation of the world, 
being understood through what, it, what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So, so there really is no excuse to say there is no God. He, he's revealed it to us if we just open our eyes and look. Um, and this would lead somebody to be a, a, at least at minimum a deist, right? Uh, and this becomes, I think, a problem for us because uh, that's not our goal. Our goal in life is not just to believe that there is a God. But I think many times Christians kind of, they take on this kind of deist philosophy of it, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something or, and I believe that there is a God and therefore that's enough, that's sufficient, right? It's not. That's not our goal. Uh, our God, our goal is to know the God who created, the God who, who spoke. And so my specialty in apologetics was more presuppositional apologetics who really focuses on the, the, what God has revealed. Uh, you know, one of the things that I get irritated, uh, highly irritated about when I'm, when I'm talking with people and I'm sharing the gospel, and they'll say, you know, there's really no proof that there is a God. And I could go into all of these classical uh, debates and, and say, let's look at order and let's look at design and let's look at this. And, and, but I think the, the larger thing is, is, is if God has revealed himself, is God good enough proof that there is a God? I, I would hope so, right? And, and I've asked these questions of atheists before. If, you know, if God showed up and said, hey, I'm God, and I'll prove that I'm God, would you believe him? Many times they'll say, no, I still wouldn't believe. I say, God bless you, have a great day. Um, but for those who, who kind of are curious and say, well, yeah, but, but he would have to do some miracles or he'd have to do some things to prove that he's God, I say, great, let's, let's look into what God has revealed. And, and I think that's what we want to look at this morning. When we look at the story of, of Cornelius, as we, as we see order in the, in the created universe, we also see order in his special revelation. And so... Everybody's favorite topic in all of Christianity is the doctrine of soteriology. You love it, right? I can, I can sense your excitement. Soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And within the doctrine of salvation, we find order. And so we call this ordo salutis. Um, and so this morning we're going to take a look at order as we see it in special revelation, specifically as we see order in salvation. We recognize that from, from the very beginning, all of humanity has a problem, right? Every single one of us have a problem. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God provides for all of their needs. They live in, in perfect peace with the holy God. All they had to do was... was Submit themselves to his rule. And, and what does the serpent say? God's trying to keep something from you, right? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And, and that's really the, the depths of the fall of humanity is rather than, than following, falling under the rule of God, we, we wanted the, to rule ourselves. And so because of the fall, Genesis 3.15, uh, man is fallen, separated from a holy God, but... God brings redemption. And so when we think about, well, where, is, where does the gospel start? It starts at the very beginning. In Genesis 3.15, God says that he will bring salvation, right? That born of the seed of a woman 
which is an interesting statement, and that's why we hold to the virgin birth. From the very beginning, God has said, from the seed of the woman will come, right? One who will be born, and he will crush his head, so he will defeat the serpent, he will defeat sin and death, uh, but he will be bruised on his heel. And so speaking, a foretelling of the crucifixion that, that Jesus was going to experience, the death that was going to atone for sin. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve are looking for a Savior. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they immediately had a problem, right? They knew that they were, they were naked and they were ashamed. Uh, but in their shame, they tried to hide from a holy God. And, and we all recognize that's folly. You can't hide from a holy God who knows everything, who sees everything. Uh, you don't want to play hide-and-seek with God. He will find you. Trust me, right? Um, but that's, the, that's the, what sin, the nature of sin does. And just like God said, everything in creation creates, right, reproduces after their own kind. Adam and Eve had the nature now to sin, and therefore every human being created after that was born with the nature to, to sin. And not only the nature to sin, but we do sin. But the question is, is, is in our nature to sin, can we see, can we comprehend, can we hear from a holy God? Some, some hold to a doctrine of depravity that would say we can no longer hear anything spiritual, we can no longer understand spiritual things, uh, which is, I think, partially true. It's, it's, it's confusing to us and we don't fully see. So that, this is the power of special revelation. We're not relying on our own strength or our own wisdom to understand spiritual things. God has spoken so that we may know, so that there is no confusion. And in the very beginning, even after the fall, as sinful man tries to hide from God, God interacts with Adam and Eve. And they can, they can understand what God is saying. So, so the, the doctrine of total depravity is that, that we, are, we are separated from a holy God by our sin. But I think the doctrine of total depravity that says we're totally unable to understand or comprehend the things of God, when God speaks, I would say is inaccurate. I think when God speaks, we can, we can understand. And we can be in awe of Him. And we can be in, in fear of a holy God. And we can be in awe and wonder that he's a God of redemption. And so when we look at this Ordo Salutis this morning, um, when we read through the book of Romans, we kind of see uh, what is often called the Romans Road. Uh, Romans uh, 3, 9 through, through 11. What then? Are we better off? Not at all. For we have already... We have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks God. So if, if man was left on his own, we, we would never come to a holy God in repentance and faith. And the, the good news of the gospel is that we're not left alone. God doesn't leave us to our own devices. If he did, we would be eternally lost. We would never find God. We would never seek after him. We would desire the, thing, the things of the flesh. 
Um, but the gospel is the good news that, that comes to humanity and can be seen and can be known, and God desires for that to happen. Romans 3, 22 through 24, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 8, but God proved his own love for us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died. And Romans 6, 23, for the wage of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So when we, when we come to this, we begin to understand that God is speaking, uh, God is calling uh, lost sinners to repentance and faith. And, and this, is, this is the work of God. So the first thing we have to do before we get into Ordo Salutis is, one, we have to recognize that we have a problem. And, and our problem is a, is a relationship problem. Uh, our problem is a, is a sin problem. And God recognized the sin problem from the very beginning and said, I'm going to deal with the sin problem, right? And that's really where we get into the, the doctrine of the atonement. Um, everything hinges upon that. And many times we, we ask uh, Old Testament saints, how are, how are they saved? And the scriptures make very clear they're saved by faith. Right? Abraham was considered righteous by faith. And so all of the Old Testament saints are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, which, again, God said in the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, this is where your salvation lies. There are none saved apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ. But God says he's going he's gonna to take this old covenant and there's going to be a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they're all looking, they're all waiting for this, this coming Messiah. And, and we get to see the journeys of their, their ups and downs and, the, and their trials and their tribulations. And their, uh, but they're all looking to, so how are they saved? So the idea of progressive revelation is they're saved by putting their faith in that which God had revealed to that point. But ultimately, they're saved through Jesus Christ's atoning death on the cross and by nothing else. They weren't saved by sacrifices of bulls. Uh, they weren't saved by doing good works. They weren't saved by following the law. They were all looking for the coming of the Messiah that would atone for sin eternally, once and for all. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My children, I am writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for, for those of the whole world. Um, so now this is, uh, when you get into Ordo Salutis, when you get into this doctrine of soteriology, uh, for 2,000 years we've, we've been debating the order and, the, and how all this works. Uh, so lucky I'm going to explain this all to you this morning, and we're going to just clear all this up for, for the rest of church history. You're, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, probably not going to happen, but that's okay. It's, it, the idea is to start a dialogue of what has God said, what has he revealed, so that we, walk, we, we may walk in it. Um, 
So this idea of, is, is Jesus' atonement limited or unlimited? Highly, highly debated. Some would say uh, it's limited. He only died for those he chose to save. And my argument would be he died for all. The first Adam, because of the first Adam, sin entered into all of humanity. And the only thing that, that can accomplish universal atonement, unlimited atonement, is the second Adam coming and paying for all sins. And that's what I believe Jesus Christ did. He atoned for all sins, past, present, and future. Yours, mine, theirs, all of history. He paid for all of it. This is why Jesus had to come, the Messiah had to become, because eternal God sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for the sins of all of humanity. Now, when we look at this doctrine of uh, unlimited atonement, uh, we see this even in, play out in history. So a historical consideration. Uh, all of the earliest reformers, including Calvin, held to a form of universal atonement. Not universal salvation, but that Christ shed his blood and paid the price for all men's sins. Possibly, the possibility of atonement was unlimited. The five-point Calvinist doctrine position of limited atonement was not developed until the second or third generation of reformers, beginning primarily with Beza. Controversy over introducing the concept of into reform beliefs grew to such an extent that ambiguous language on the subject was left in the final draft of the Canon of Dort. So as to allow those among the delegates who rejected limited atonement to sign the final document. Even the Westminster Assembly, including delegates who rejected limited atonement, and the Puritans of the 17th and 18th century included uh, distinguished leaders who preached and wrote about it. For example, John Bunyan declares, Christ died for all, for, for the offer of the gospel cannot, cannot without God's allowance be offered any further than the death of Jesus Christ doth go. Because if that has taken away, there is indeed no gospel, nor grace to be extended. And, and so even for my Reformed brothers um, who, who hold to a limited atonement, uh, historically, even the early reformers held to an unlimited atonement. Uh, now, in one sense, atonement is limited, right? It, not all will be saved. The question is, is the offer extended to all? And I think that's what Bunyan is saying here. Uh, if God's grace isn't sufficient for all, <laughs> then, then we're in trouble. And I, I think when we think about the, the doctrine of atonement, was Christ's death on the cross sufficient to pay for sins? Now this gets a little more complicated, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit in our Ordo Salutis when we talk about the doctrine of imputation, and in particular double imputation. Um, so stay tuned. So what we do know, and what I said earlier, is that if we were left of our own device, we would not come to God. We would not seek God. Uh, the good news is God has come to us. God has revealed. God has spoken. Not just in his creation, but in time, space, and history. God has stepped into our time and space, and he has declared. 
The Bible says, thus saith the Lord. He's not been silent on this. And this is where we were different from the deists. God didn't just wind up the clock and then step back and let it go. And that's the same with, with salvation. God is, is involved in his redemptive plan. He's not absent. He cares. He understands. He knows our pains, our trials, and our sufferings. And we see that in Jesus Christ, who experienced all of that. And he knows what we're going through. He knows what it is to be tempted. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. And I will raise them up on the last day. We don't come to salvation on our own. God is active. He's working. When we go out and we share the gospel, we don't, we don't say, I saved somebody. We say, we shared the gospel and God saved. And this is, this is what Peter was declaring last week. I, I just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. We're pleading on behalf of a holy God. And this is, this is what God calls us to. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, he says, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And he says, we've become ambassadors for God, representatives And he says, I want you to go out as my representatives. I want you to plead on behalf of Christ. Tell people, be reconciled to God. There's the gospel call. So there's atonement, there's provenient grace, and then the gospel call. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can we call on him whom we've not believed in? And how can we believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. There is power. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Greek. There is power in the gospel. This is, this is probably one of my big, biggest frustrations as somebody who really focuses on mission and outreach. And the, the one thing that we can't withhold from people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care if people think we're great and wonderful and how, how, how good we are, how much we love them. Uh, we want to do that because that's who we are in Christ. We've been commanded to love. But if I withhold the gospel, the one thing that has the power to save them, I'm, I'm not truly loving them. And when we, when we proclaim the gospel, we were, all, we were all amazed yesterday as we're standing there and we're cooking some burgers and we're having some fellowship and people were coming to us. Initially, we thought we were going to have to go out and knock on some doors and people were just coming. And we shared the gospel, and they believed. That's not, that's not our work. That's God's prevening grace, calling them, drawing them, convicting of, the, of, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. That's, that's completely a work of God. We just make ourselves available for God to use us to bring salvation through his gospel message. As the gospel is preached, there's repentance and belief. Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Acts 16, 29. Uh, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Saul and Silas, Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him along with everyone in his household. He took them that same hour and night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So there is repentance and faith. Biblical repentance in the New Testament is this idea of a changing of mind. Old Testament is kind of a changing in, of direction. I'm going in this direction. Now I'm going to go in this direction. New Testament repentance is a little different. It's this idea of a transformation of the mind, of, of saying that I can't do it and I need a Savior. And now I, I desire sin, but I desire Jesus more. And Jesus, I need you. And that's what the gospel does. It saves us because we recognize God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We're not saved by righteousness. We're not saved by works. We're saved by his grace through faith alone, not by works. We can't boast. He paid the price. He's the one drawn. He's the one convicting. His gospel tells us the message of what we must do to be saved. Believe and trust in him alone. When we repent and believe, we are regenerated. We receive the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get into the doctrine of double imputation. So when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you basically gave Jesus an offering. You know what you gave him? You gave him all of your sin. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's what Jesus accepts from you. He accepts your sin. 2 Corinthians 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. See, all things have become new. How did this happen? Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we give Jesus our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. That's the, that's the only way anybody is ever saved. We don't stand before God and say, God, I was a pretty good person. I tried to live a good life. I never killed anybody. Like, surely I can get into your heaven. He said, no, you can't. Unless you, unless you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, unless you are perfect and without sin, you can't enter. Well, who does that exclude? It excludes everybody. But God offers his, his grace to us through Jesus Christ. We give him his sin, he gives us our righteousness. We're indwelt and sealed with the Spirit. We're justified. Our sin debt is paid in full. And we are adopted as children. And so this, this ordo salutis, we see this order. And, and finally, uh, we, are being, we are being saved, right? We have, we, have, we have been justified, so we've been saved, and we are being saved. This is, a, this is kind of a struggle for us. So Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 uh, says, In him you also were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and when you believed. So when did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you heard the gospel and when you believed. 
The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So we're justified, we're forgiven of sin, we're in the process of being sanctified. God is helping us to overcome the power of sin. One day we will be glorified. The, the presence of sin will be completely removed. So where do we, where do we see this order in the, in the story of Cornelius? Cornelius is worshiping God, he's praising God, but he doesn't know the fullness of who God is yet. But his offering is acceptable to God, and God sends an angel to speak to him. When God speaks, what do we call it? It's special revelation. Cornelius hears it. He calls the servants. The servants bring Peter back. They preach the gospel. After they receive the gospel, verse 44 says the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So the the doctrine of of regeneration is important. Some think it it precedes faith. And I think in in Cornelius, we see a, a very specific order. He he, prevenient grace, God is working, he's calling, this, the gospel comes to him, he repents and he believes, and the spirit comes and indwells, and they are baptized. Notice I didn't have baptism in the, in the ordo salutis, because baptism isn't salvific. Ba- baptism is a sign of what God has already done. We've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, a word that we're, we're scared of because of the abuse of it, but the Holy Spirit has entered, he has sealed we are eternally his, adopted as his children. And so this is the, the beauty of all that God has done through this story of Cornelius. And I want to end with this passage. One of, my, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 1 John 5, 9-13. If we accept the testimony, the human testimony, God's testimony is greater. Because it is God's testimony that he has given of his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. The one who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life, and the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let us pray. Father God, we come into your presence this morning and we acknowledge that you are the Lord of salvation. You are the God who reveals all truth to humanity, that we may know you and that we may know salvation. Lord, help us to understand the, the depths of our sin and that even, even our own righteousness is not acceptable to you. But you do care, and you do see, and you do know. You are seeking those who desire to worship you in truth and in spirit. So we thank you for the testimony of Cornelius this morning. We thank you that you are revealing your salvation to all of humanity. That all who believe may be adopted, may be redeemed, justified, sanctified, and one day we will all be glorified, worshiping you together. So we come to you humbly this morning and ask that you would continue to to work out our salvation as we present ourselves to you and continue to, to transform our minds. Glorify yourself, we pray and ask in the name of Jesus.
everybody that the elders will be up here um, so if you have questions they know everything so you can ask them if you want to understand more salvation and what it looks like to pursue a relationship with God through Jesus Christ we would love to explore that with you if you have prayer concerns uh, the elders will be available let's close in prayer father God we come into your presence and we are again just in awe of you we pray that that you would work in and through us that you would sanctify us you called us as holy and positionally, we know that we are yours. We are your children. So go with us now and use us for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.